Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What happens when a long-form video game experience goes wrong? I don't mean when it becomes less fun, like a clunky midpoint in a grindy open-world game, but when the very idea of playing something becomes sickening and without pleasure. What do you do when a game you love becomes a game you don't ever want to return to? Those are the words of Cameron Kunzelman, our longtime contributor, in a column called I Played a Favorite Game Long Enough to Start Hating It. This sucks. (laughs) I'm Danielle Riendo. This is Waypoint Radio, episode 138. Joining me today are Austin Walker. Hey, it's me. It's Austin Walker. And Patrick Klepik. Hello. So this this topic spoke near and dear to my heart as somebody who... uh, I think I'm sort of, like, constantly chasing the dragon of, like, favorite game experiences. <laughs> and there are so few games that, like, really, really, really do it for me that I keep playing them over and over and over again. I don't know if that makes me weird. I don't know if that makes me abnormal in I the gaming world. I but... think that's the norm for a lot of people, right? It's like, that's yeah. my fave. Like, I know people who, like, replay uh, Link to the Past every year or something like yeah. that, right? That's kind of nice. And I guess this is sort of what happens when, when that goes wrong. When you've gone back to that well too many times, and now all you can see is like the imperfections. All you can see are the seams. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to talk about it too like much. Cameron, oh, yeah, go ahead. Cameron's, Cameron's piece, though, in particular, though, is like we should like set up like what what he's saying like, yeah. about like so he's talking about a game, Baldur's Gate, which was one of his favorites, and then not only that, he was doing a YouTube series in which they were slowly, methodically going through the game, breaking it down, analyzing it, and you know, like the course of the piece <laughs> is like in in, the, in pursuit of doing that, realized. The, you know, he had kind of exhausted everything out of the game, and so I, I, just, I think it's a little different than playing like playing a game a million times, and then like yeah. suddenly like ah, it's not fun anymore. Like it's 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 certainly a little different when you're like treating it as an academic paper, and then all of a sudden like ah shit, maybe there's not as much here as I thought, and I've kind of like, kind of exhumed the well a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I, this is not like an everyday case, of course, uh, of this sort of phenomenon, and so I, I think we can also sort of like. It broaden this because it's not an everyday case. We can broaden this also to hitting something like a plateau in a game and sure. being like, "I'm done now. I've got what I need out right. of this. I'm going to stop so I don't start to hate it." Right. Kind of knowing that where was that line like is. Like me and like Overwatch, I think. Sure. Which was like, "All right, I'm not gonna. There's never gonna. I think I wrote about this at the time, yeah. which was like, or maybe at the time, but I think it was when they announced a new character. I said like, "Hey, this new character. Maybe Cameron actually wrote about this. One of us. Wrote, I'm pretty sure Cameron wrote this too. But was like, like, "Hey, this I game is yeah. this. This character looks." cool but it's not going to get me to play more overwatch it was also cameron but i agreed with it because i'd hit a point where it was like oh okay like 
I think this game is really cool, but if I keep playing it, I'm going to see my own limits, and I'm not in a place where I can put in the time to get better, and that means that I'm going to start hating it and hating myself and feeling bad, and so I'm going to stop. And I think that's true for me in a lot of multiplayer games. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what made Battleground such an exception for me last year was I got over that hump. I could feel the self-improvement, and instead of quitting, like not rage quitting, but kind of like quiet, resigned quitting <laughs> for fear of hating it and hating myself, I kept with it, and that was that was pretty nice. That's like the opposite. Of, of Cameron's thing in some in some respects, but but yeah, knowing where to draw that line could be totally. such a skill. But yeah. I do think you're right that there are a bunch of different ways that this happens. So the like, there is the Cameron specific. I've mined this thing for so long that now I can't. There's nothing there for me to mine anymore. There is the like burnout. The like, this is all I do all day. The, like that you hear from people who play MOBAs all the time, or from people who play MMOs, and it's like I lived in this MMO for a year. I'm done with it. Uh, and then there's, there's like the, the plateau, which is like, um, I think I got it. I think I got what I want. And, and I think I've, I definitely fall into those different camps and for different games. Yeah. I remember with Overwatch for me, it was essentially like when the concept of the meta became like relevant to playing the game. Like for most people, let's see, this probably understand the idea of the meta, but like the meta is, you know, like, like general strategies that are being played out by everyone and like if you want to like participate and like do well it's like you should be paying attention to like where like the stream is going and at that point it was like i just don't i like this game it was on like my top 10 list because it got me to play like 80 hours of a type of game that is normally not my thing but it, when it started to become like new characters like having to read up on like meta strategies and like who i should be playing i was just like this is this is I see the hill and I just don't want to climb it. It's not to say that the <laughs> hill isn't worth climbing. It was just I got what I wanted out of this game and didn't want to continue scaling it to continue getting what I was getting out of it. And so it was enough. It was like, all right, I got my 60 hours and like that's that, that's fine. Like I just I just didn't need to go any further with that particular game. I I have a very weird problem where I I just if I latch onto something, I will pretty much latch onto it for a long ass time even if i hate it even if i hate myself for playing it even if i hate it why i had this as dark souls 3 for sure i i like really really loved it and then i got super super stuck i got stuck on a boss for 15 hours in game it was horrifying and then i ripped through like the next two-thirds of the game in like a day and then just i just had to stop there was the a, there was a you got, what thing. was the boss you got stuck on oh god the fucking the abyss watchers Oh, they're a hard fight. Oh, I hate That's them. The, they're in Fair and Darkwood. They're yeah. my favorite boss in the game. In, they're sure. my favorite boss in I'm not sure. not because they're like easy. Not because like I just I've said this before, but like in fact I said it on the bonfire side. Yeah. Uh, chats, which is a great Dark Souls focused podcast. Oh People yeah, listen to all it. those fuckers. They're, yeah, those. Great, um, yeah. I love them so much <laughs> as this like a summation of the ethics of Dark Souls, the ethos of Dark Souls, the themes of Dark Souls. Yeah. Um, but but. But yeah, I could totally Yo, get that's just, a like, hard they fight. Can though. Kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a hard fight. I, I, I had I had a similar. Uh, uh, I remember uh, playing Bloodborne, which I was reviewing, so I was playing it ahead of oh, launch yeah. and ahead of like Whoa. being able to like bring in. Uh, I mean, generally, I play the Souls games as um, uh, solo. Like, I, I it's not that I haven't brought in other uh, players, but like I I tend to try and stick to a. Uh, personally, I find it satisfying to try and do it solo. But I, I remember the the closest I got to breaking on Bloodborne was the um, I can't remember the uh, the name of the boss, but it's the th- when you're fighting three at once. Um, oh uh, yeah, in the woods. Oh, was the, like I know what you mean. 
Which one is yeah. it? Wait. In so, the woods, um, there's three of them. They have like snake. They turn into snakes. Not the witches. No, not they the witches. Suck. They turn into snake faces, like snake head uh, guys. Oh, 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 oh! Mm-hmm. The sh- not mm-hmm. the shadows, but it's sort of like yeah. oh, it's the shadows of Yarnum. Yes. The shadows of Yarnum. I think so. Yes, maybe. Yes. It's something yes. like that for yes. sure. Yeah. No, spoilers for Natalie. Spoilers Sorry, for Natalie. Natalie. Sorry. Um, that's a cool fight. It is, cool uh, but it's also <laughs> tough because it gets harder as you fight. Yeah. Like in some ways, it's like I mean, the Abyss Watchers also does that, but that was definitely the the thing of like, um, there's an order to try to take them out that makes it easier depending yeah. on who you take out first, second, and third. Uh, but it's that's a tough one. That's a tough. One. I think yeah. Bloodborne is actually one of those games that I. It's another game that I stopped playing. I didn't do all the optional bosses. I didn't 100% that game because if I did, I would have hated it uh, sure. because I had such a weird – You knew where the line was. I knew where the line was. Like, I got – it's like, all right, I'm going to – I got the – I did like the true ending, but I didn't do a lot of the side bosses. Not a lot of it. I didn't do some of the hardest side bosses because I just got what I needed from it. And if I had tried to throw myself against some of those bosses, it would have just broken it for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if I latch, I will latch for real. And if I don't latch at all, it'll be like 45 minutes. And I'm like, I'm done. I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I'm cool. No thanks. Uh, which I almost feel is like I, I only have the extremes. Like I don't have any nice middle ground with this sort of thing. Like it's either I'm in it to win it, baby, even if I hate myself and I hate every second, like with The Witness. Or it's, yeah, I played an hour. It's right, fine. Right. Whatever. I'm never going to touch this again. Yeah. I mean, I had that with, like, Destiny 2. I played that first hour of the game, and I was like, oh, okay, that's yeah. nice. This is nice. Cool. And then you're out. There's no latch. There was no latch. I need to, like, latch my claws. I guess I'm a cat because I have to latch my mm. claws into things. Uh, but it, it's it's a weird thing. It's a very weird thing. I've been playing Bioshock again. I won't talk about Bioshock too much, but... That's a game that I have played like 11 times now, something like that. I'm, I'm somebody who plays games over and over again, as we all know. Um, and, of course, that's the kind of game where the seams certainly show after your first playthrough. It doesn't even take, you know, 10 years for that to sort of show up. It, that game is all theater. It's 100% theater. It's easy to look behind the curtains if you want to. And I've been playing it again with an eye towards basically trying to make it more of an immersive sim than it actually is by, like, tricking all the systems to kind of fight for me. Uh, and I've been getting a little frustrated with how much it's not like a very deep immersive sim. It's like it's like a shooter with some immersive sim dressing on top. And so all the places where it was obvious that there was a deeper game here, like uh, the way the lighting works, it was rigged in such a way uh, that was it was going to actually be a system where you could uh, affect the pressure in given rooms and make it low pressure, high pressure, medium pressure, and that would affect explosions right, and the way right, certain right. currents worked and all sorts of stuff. So now I'm like sort of seeing the lighting and seeing the way the lighting works, and I'm like, man, I sure wish I could affect the pressure in this room. <laughs> that's pretty specific. That's like, it is, like, but uh, that's me. But that's like, also games. That's also revisiting old games yeah. with new, with a new perspective, yeah. which maybe isn't a thing we've spoken about. Which is like, like I imagine going back to one of those other Monster Hunter games. Like I, you know, obviously I didn't play those games, but I, I could imagine being someone who played those games five years ago and then went back. After after world without some of the the kind of quality um, of life improvements. Yes, yes. Yeah. Or even going back to, to or, or even dual analog stick support, which like as part of a story that I I'm, yes, uh, that uh, yes. Up on Monday, that's a huge one. 
was uh, in, in which uh, you know I'm, I'm writing about this uh, disabled player that you know is really enjoying Monster Hunter and explaining why specifically he was able to get into to world. Um, it was interesting to go back and watch the way people used to play Monster Hunter, which, if people aren't aware, like became popular as a PSP game before it became popular as a 3DS game. Um, when Nintendo kind of like gotten cahoots with Capcom over the series, and on the PSP there wasn't two analog sticks. There was a analog nub right. in the bottom left hand corner of the PSP, and then the D pad. Uh, up above that, and then there was you know the traditional um, uh, PlayStation buttons on the right. Um, but that was a game that you needed to manipulate the camera and move around at the same time, and so people had this claw maneuver, uh, <laughs> which was you really have to look it up to see how it works. But basically, they have to create like a weird claw configuration of their hand in order to play it, and it's just oh, yeah, I I don't know how and that people hurts played to that just game. think about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so painful. <laughs> But it's, it is interesting. It's also one of those things that's adjacent to this, which is the things you're willing to do for a game you love. Like, the mm. things you're willing to put yourself through, the pain you're willing to sort of encounter and endure uh, to play something that you love. I know we were kind of talking about this a little bit, uh, and I don't know if this is, like, a pain point for you, Patrick, but I, I know you, you were mentioning Spelunky and your, like, quest with Spelunky and being kind of done with it once you, once you kind of finished up that, you know, self-inflicted... I wouldn't call it a wound, but like a self-inflicted. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I love I Spelunky. Spelunky is uh, yeah. a game that uh, is probably you know one of my top five uh, favorite games of all time. It's like in a like when we when we talk about games that are perfect, I think that is a bad measure. But actually, if you put a gun to my head, I would say <laughs> like Spelunky is like pretty close to a perfect game, um, whatever that means. And yeah, like when I was playing that uh, a giant bomb, like I was playing it on stream, and like the whole idea was like to try and you know, uh, illustrate the process of, like, learning and, like, talking through it and show, like, actually showing the whole process of, of a learning curve. Um, and part of that was, like, putting a goal on it, but also, you know, like, I needed the video feature to end at some point, but I needed something to work <laughs> towards. And, yeah. you know, that game, you can, Splunky, you can beat in two ways. Uh, you can uh, finish the normal run, and then there's sort of a, a secret run that gets you to a, a secret world called Hell within, that's, like, the quote-unquote true ending. Um, and... Once I'd done that, I mean, I, there are plenty of reasons to play Splunky. Like, there are different variants on Splunky. You know, there's the, the daily uh, challenge where it's like, you know, everyone's working uh, the same thing. And I did that for a while, playing against uh, Chris Remo, although it was mostly yep. me playing Chris Remo, less Chris Remo <laughs> playing against me. It was mostly at the if I beat his score, I would talk shit about it. Um, I don't know that Chris Remo cared all that much about <laughs> trying to beat mine. But it got to the point where someone did create a Twitter bot that was scrubbing... Uh, or scraping the the that leaderboards was... and was tweeting out like who whether I beat Chris Remo oh, or whether that's Chris Remo beat me. So it's one of my favorite b- parts of uh, favorite bits of that that whole thing. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like when I when I completed Hell, when I made it uh, through that, I like like I felt like a tangible sense of aha, like I did it. Um, and there were other ways to play that. Like I, I after I did that, I actually went back and I tried to do some of the other variants. Like there was an achievement for called Speed Lunky, um, which is where you just try and get through the game as fast as possible, which is both a speed run variant and also there was an achievement that I think is beating the game in less than five minutes. And I actually did it on the P, the PC and the uh, uh, on the uh, the PSP version. But I it was sort of like I realized at a certain point. I'm just I'm looking for something that's not here anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. like my passion for it was just gone. Like it's a game I love. It's a game that I enjoy like going back to every once in a while. Like we've done it on several streams on on Waypoint at various points when we've been together in the same office. But uh 
Like it's just it's just not there anymore for me. Like I can't. I I got to the top of the mountain. I put my flag, and I was like, all right, like I'm done. Good to go. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm good. Like and that's not. There's not, nothing to say about the game. Like the game still has right. plenty to offer, and I I know people that have gone on to keep playing the game for dozens or hundreds of hours. But like for me, like I just felt like the fire extinguished. It was just like cool. Like I did it. Like done. I can go yeah. play something else and. <laughs> And that right. doesn't happen for a lot. Like that doesn't happen for every game, but for that particular game, like some games, it's just the credits. And then for Spelunky, it was like something. I mean, it, there are credits at the end of. You Pella, found other not, things, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the thing that that I think about a lot, and this maybe goes back to Cameron's thing, is that I mean, so it's funny because you say like, oh, it's different what you did versus what Cameron does, where Cameron like digs into Baldur's Gate for this academic angle again and again and again. But, like, you set new goals for yourself inside of Spelunky to keep yourself with it because you loved it. Sure. You're like, okay, yeah. well, next I'm going to do this. Next I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then eventually you, you sit at the bottom line. It's a different thing than, like, okay, I'm going to find the, you know, what, what this means deeply or what this says about justice or something like that. But I do think the, the, one of the interesting things that, that kind of separates two different, there's two different things out, uh, are, are you hitting bottom or are you finding cracks that you wish you didn't see? And it sounds like in Spelunky, you were just hitting bottom. You just hit the bottom. You played through it all. You're done with it. But I think about something like – I think about some games that I love and have, have written about why I love them and stuff like that. Something like Far Cry 2, which is one of my favorite games still. But it's one of those games that as I revisit it as a writer and replay it, the things that excited me about it when it launched don't excite me about it in the same way. Uh, or or they, they still excite me. But I can also see on top of those really good things, different perspectives from which uh, a firmer critique can can emerge. Where like, um, so like one of the things that I that I this was like a big thing for me years ago was when I first played it, I loved it, and I think I fell into the trap of talking about realism, mm-hmm. which is I think a trap a lot of critics fall into. It's like, oh, this game is so realistic. Oh, the guns break. You have malaria. You, you, uh, you know, the the fights are really hard, and and that's a thing that we we say about a lot of games. Like, oh, it's so realistic. It just came up with Kingdom Come, right? right. Uh, uh, whatever the third thing in that name, Kingdom Deliverance. It's like, oh, it's so realistic. This this aspiration of realism, but. There are lots of ways in which these games will continue to be unrealistic, and that is a limiting factor to what we can say about them. So for Far Cry 2, one of the big things was like there are no civilians in that game except for the ones who are always locked up in a safe place who you can talk to. You like walk through a door and then your gun disappears and no one can ever hurt them or those tied directly to specific story missions. Um, and those people are like the very intro, leaving the country. It's like, okay, well, this depiction of a place of civil war in civil war doesn't really have any people in it. I mean, it has lots of people, but mostly it has mercenaries. It just has like this proxy war happening separate from any sort of like actual armed conflict between residents of the place or or more importantly people who live there civilians who live there who aren't involved who are being put in danger um and so you go well what's happening there what does this vision of africa look like what is this this specific vision of an unnamed african country meant to evoke uh and so like when you revisit something some some things you love and again i still love far cry too but one of the things that ends up happening is you go okay Obviously, Far Cry is on my mind a lot. There's a lot of Far Cry sure. 5 coverage that I just did. So, But you end up thinking, okay, I, this thing is compromised in some way. Or this thing that I hoped would support my reading actually doesn't support it the way I hoped it would under further investigation. And then you have to end up making a call, which is like, 
does my read do I toss out this read that I've been talking about for years or do I just like pretend not to see that stuff and I always side on the the former which is like I want to complicate what my position is but I've definitely been tempted in the past when I've been playing a game that I've loved to like let me just ignore the bad parts. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like, let me just, let me just, I don't want this thing. I, we get e- emails from people and tweet. I'm sure you both get tweets and DMs about this from people too, who, people who say like, I really love X, but it has this problematic element. Can I allow to love it? And I'm like, the thing I almost always write back and then I stop myself is like, well, I'm not a priest, so I can't, <laughs> I can't give you, conf- I can't, you know, tell you to go say three Hail Marys and <laughs> To donate twenty bucks to the Southern Poverty Law Center, but like, uh, but do that one. Um, but more importantly, like, what I really just want for people is to engage with that stuff, and it doesn't always have to be about problematic content either. It can be like so. A game that I love is FTL, another game we've been talking about recently because of subsets into the breach, and in that game. I never really had the problem that a lot of people had when it came to the final boss mm. because early on through a combination of watching other people play and doing my own strategies, I always knew how to get a ship ready for the final boss. For people who don't know, the final boss in FTL is like uh, – it's a it's a really tough challenge that, that has uh, some like things you need to do. You have to have a cloaking device. You have to have or, – or really good shields, blah, 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 blah. And I got that strategy in my head so early that it never – that I never dealt with it. But going back to it and uh, going back to it now, I can see the ways in which – after I'd, I've heard so many people say that that was a problem for them. I can see the ways in which the game itself doesn't necessarily teach you that, and that was that's been pretty interesting too. Um, yeah. So so sometimes it's not even playing it a lot myself; it's seeing other people play it, talking to other people, and their experiences make going back and continuing to play something really tough. I, Far Cry, not Far Cry. Uh, the other F, the Fallout, Fallout New Vegas is another one there of these, go. which is like at the time, Fallout New Vegas is my favorite Fallout game. Full stop. But at the time, because of the way I played the game, I didn't see how any of the, like, Kaiser's Legion stuff wrapped up because I never went that route. And I never – so I never felt like there was any, like, both sidesism going on, which now I've seen some people make really good cases about that stuff. I didn't play all the DLC, which means that there is some stuff with, like, native representation that is really shitty and I just didn't see it. Sure. Uh, and so it's sometimes like, okay, like, this is one of my favorite games and also it has problems. Um, and so it's like – I'm glad to go back to it now with those things in mind because for now at least it doesn't ruin those games for me so much as it brings out different perspectives to dig into, which is which is fun. It, the interesting thing about that is whether there's a big difference between seeing that after the fact, seeing those problems after the fact, or mm-hmm. encountering them uh, – or not encountering them, but like hearing someone else encountering it as you're playing it. Does right. that color your first read or is that just – you know, yeah, I don't know. Like, because I wonder if there's like almost a certain safety in. I've had my first experience, my yes. first magical experience. Then I go back and I'm open to seeing the problems versus I'm in the magic and while I don't necessarily want to hear it. Not your that you're saying on. Oh, I'm not listening to you, but no, like you're no. a little bit more, you know, kind um, of open to whatever. No, I mean, like here's one that 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 definitely came up for me was like I was still very much in the magic when. The uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild transphobia. Hit. Yes, and yeah. uh, I think that like I definitely should have been more vocal about that. Like I think you know we ran a couple of articles that touched on it. Yeah. We talked about it on the podcast, but it didn't make it into my review, and it didn't make it into my re- my review because 
I did a, I just wasn't in the my review was just such a bad like glowing piece I like was <laughs> so in awe that it like really bleeds through in that piece of the entire thing instead of zooming into areas where it could have improved and that's a big big spot where it could have improved um and so that was one of those moments of like all right I have to once it hit and once people like really spoke about it it was like this is not going to ruin this game for me. It's not going to. It's not going to erase the positive times I have. But I have to take seriously these these real issues that have real effects on people. And there are ways in which you can build alibis and you can say like, "Well, I have friends who think it's okay," and like that's a <laughs> shitty course, thing to right. do. And like again, like in general, I know when I have that impulse and I try to correct for it. Yeah. Um. I obviously people make mistakes, but like I definitely think that's one of those things of like. When you're enjoying something, do your best to onboard, to bring on the sort of like whatever criticism is in the air. Think about it while you're playing through, or at least for me, that actually does make it more enjoyable, but maybe not in that same way as the like blinders on and not paying attention to anything way. Which I wonder, one of the games that I wonder about a lot is Bioshock Infinite that was Uh, so so well received. So I was just going to say, like, I remember when I played through that game, I, I can't remember if I had it pre-release or you know certainly right around the same time but uh that's a i i wasn't particularly high on that game when i went through it but i will be perfectly honest that it wasn't because of the game's politics it's because i played through it and viewed it uh, purely through the lens of a sci-fi story and just had like mm-hmm. really like the, like yeah. big problems with like the way it ends but and it was in and i viewed that game from start to finish when i was playing it as a science fiction story and just wasn't really just wasn't really paying attention to the games like politics and what it was saying um you know and it's both sidesism and, and all that stuff that was something that was informed upon be, you know beating the game and then seeing that sort of like discourse turn that happened where a lot of the i think a lot of the initial reviews like very much focused on its like sci-fi trappings um um and i think there were, I, I could see why people looked at that game and saw it in a more positive lens um through that way and i just wasn't thinking of it. And that was part of the value of the criticism and the essays and all the discussion about that game mm-hmm. afterwards. It was like, oh, right. Like, I just wasn't even... One, wasn't picking up on stuff. Two, wasn't paying attention to stuff. And that, like, turned my entire viewing of that game, like, around. I wasn't positive. Like I said, I wasn't super positive on it. But I definitely wasn't coming away with certain observations that upon, like, retrospectively, it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. Like, yeah, like, you're right. Like, that was fucked. Like, huh. Like, I didn't even look at that scene in that way yeah. because I was worried about, like, what's going on with this portal over here. Yeah. Um, right, right. Yeah. That was and, a really like, interesting time. So that was a game I that I, I had that particular, yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. Right. Sorry, sorry. We're having like some, just so people listening, if this it sounds weird in the edit, we're having, there's a big storm in New York right now. So Patrick's like voice is Little weird robot. for us sometimes. Yeah. And we talk, if there's any crosstalk, <laughs> blame whatever the name of this storm is. Blame the weather. Blame the weather. Um, blame it. 
I'm curious because both of you were actually at major outlets at the time. I was a freelancer. I was doing blogging still mostly, like free blogging on my own website. Uh, Cameron was also in the same position at at that point doing some freelancing. Uh, He actually collected like 30 different pieces of Bioshock uh, criticism at the time that were like, here's – the discourse is here. This is what people are saying about Bioshock Infinite. Um, But at the time, from the outside, it looked like one of those moments where it wasn't clear that the major sites – had people in place who could engage with those ideas or who were encouraged to engage with those ideas. And it felt so much like people were taking Levine at his word that it was a game that dealt with issues maturely. And like it was – it was really frustrating, and I say that now being on the other side, where I know all about practical reasons why people don't, why you don't have more staff members, and blah 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 blah. But but I just it's it's I'm curious what your perspectives are from the inside, seeing that critical backlash, even if the wide response was really positive. Yeah, it was very weird. Uh, it was weird for me, especially because I, I had friends who worked on that game, and I had right. I had known bits and pieces. Nobody ever was able to talk about things until much later on, uh, but I knew bits and pieces about like who was developing a drinking problem because of working on this Fuck. game, and what was going on with this, and who was being demoted, and so on and so forth. Uh, so it was very weird. And it was also my my like second week at Polygon or third week at Polygon, and it was GDC week, uh, and I remember being in the sort of the video editing suites. There, uh, you know, sort of helping to cut the video itself, the video review itself of the game. So I had no idea what happened in the in the game, other than like shots here and shots there. And I was like, "Wow, this sure looks interesting! I can't wait to play it." <laughs> uh, so I was like excited when it first came out. I was so excited, uh, knowing the things that I knew. Uh, and reading the review before it came out, I was like, wow, this sounds like it really deals with things in a very mature way. And I then... can't wait to play that. And then I played it, and it was. What it was? Were you playing it before, or after the criticism? Like, Just curve? after. Okay. Or not the curve itself, but like I played it that week. Right. Okay. But after the reviews were out, after gotcha. I knew certain things about the game and had seen like, oh, this shot of of this happening was right. in the review, and I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Right. How cool! The the really weird thing is that I might play it again soon because it's, are you going through? I'm going through the. I might go through the whole collection. I'm definitely playing two, no question. But I might actually play. It's five years after Infinite this month. It is five years after Infinite, and I, I am very interested uh, to see. I I suspect that the 2013 uh, both sidesism uh, will have aged even more poorly. <laughs> Than we think is <laughs> sort of my my suspicion. Probably, um, but yeah, Patrick, I don't know what your experience was there. Being uh... well, I think like a lot of people are just like really underread. Like right. one, it's like not yeah. thinking about games in that perspective. But I also think, and this is like I, I you know, a giant five work with a lot of really <laughs> smart people, and like a lot of hours <laughs> with really smart people. But I think what, what was illustrative of that, like those two different diversion paths of reacting to that game, was not even necessarily that the people that wrote certain types of reviews of Bioshock Infinite couldn't have couldn't in a different couldn't have written more critical reviews I just think a lot of people were like thinking about games that way thinking of those topics reading right. about like racism both sidesism like I just think people really underread on a lot of that stuff so I think a lot of people just didn't even have necessarily the rhetorical or critical or analytical tools to think of it and games like that and moments like that were very instructive both in my own personal development of like that reading those critical analysis and seeing my own blind spots was like, oh, shit, all right, like, I need to be, okay, I need to, like, read up on this stuff and, like, see why people are pointing out things this way because this is stuff I want to talk about. And if I missed that on my own 
like critical read through of this game like that says something about me doesn't mean i can't get better but it also means like i missed it the first time around and i can blame that partially on the sci-fi trappings uh, uh to some extent but to another extent it's like i just didn't have the tools and i just didn't see that shit coming and like that's on me and i think that game was an, an example yes of like a, a lack of sort of uh uh a certain amount of diversity but a certain amount of intellectual diversity at uh, different outlets. And I do think, like, that was a moment for a lot of people to, like, rethink, like, ah, like, how do I even look at these games? And, like, what do I need to be more well-read on if I want to um, kind of bring that eye to it? Because I, I think that was... that. There, there are a few games in which the sort of, like, the, the, the change in reaction to the game was as 180 as, as Bioshock Infinite was. Right. Totally. And, and five years ago, there were even... <laughs> Or even fewer writers of color at major yep. websites. So I feel like that that can't be discounted. Or or folks who were uh, were not in positions of actual power in terms of like reviewing. Typically, it's just mm-hmm. to give you a tiny bit of background if you're unfamiliar with this. But like, if you were like a junior reviewer or a staff writer, you weren't going to get Bioshock Infinite as a review. You were going to get maybe a smaller game to review that kind of thing. But like the big games, the AAA games, kind of went to. You know, whoever was like in charge of reviews in in some cases, or somebody who had been there for a very long time. So if if there was, uh, you know, a staffer of color or a staffer who was maybe a little more uh, up on these issues, they probably weren't the one to review that game at a big publication. Right. Right. So cool. That's how things were. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because like you think about five years is a long time in terms of the color and shape of of the industry. Um, in terms of like where Polygon was at at the time, in terms of where sites like Giant Bomb were in terms of representation, in sites uh, you know sites like IGN even, yeah. where I think a lot of times folks in the spheres that we are in do like the sort of broad dismissal of very mass audience focused sites like like uh, IGN, but if you look at their talent pool, if you look at like who is doing reviews there, who their editors are, it's diversified a lot in the last few years and has has become a pretty strong pool of writers. Um, and partly, you know, I'm I'm a pretty down in the dumps dude. I'm a pretty like change <laughs> is so slow and so easily uh, countered that um, that that it's hard to get excited about it. But I mean, I think about five years ago, me writing about Bioshock Infinite as a critic, and I wasn't even like super hot take. Like my takes were all pretty mild in terms of what their interests were. Like I was deep in my academic mode, and so it was about things like level design and sure. also like a weird letter about crisis and disaster around boardwalks because I'm from a boardwalk area in Jersey, yeah. uh, and like you know, but they, but but and there was one about about agency and representation, but but. Um, those were like some of the pieces that got me an early audience as a freelancer and as a as a critic, and like started to build my audience. And that helped. That happened with I think a lot of people in in that in that time and space. And then there was a knock on effect from that from from the way that myself and some other critics were able to all open the other doors for other people. I've said it before, but like I wouldn't be here without Cameron Kunzelman, who was the one who invited me to co-write a piece with him at uh, Paste. And like that was my first major freelance gig after years of being out of the game. Um, and that is like the, a sort of weird thing around these things, which is like these games that to go back to them, you'd hate them, to replay them is to is to suffer, can also 
if if you know can also be catalyzers of change and effect because now you look at you look at Kotaku's makeup, you look at a lot of the industry's um, makeup. It's still not perfect. There are still serious yeah. issues. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, absolutely, and I still think there's a long way to go uh, in in general because it'd, it'd be awesome if we had a translator. It would be fantastic <laughs> if we had. A, I would love to hire. Yeah. You know that would be fantastic. Um, and that's not a choice. That's the thing that sucks about that is not like. We're choosing not to do that. Right. That's a that's a resources thing, yeah. which speaks to a larger question about where media is at, which we've been Absolutely. lingering on for for months now, um, and speaks to a a it speaks to how slow change can be. Uh, it's which is which can be really frustrating and demoralizing, but um, you know at least at least Bioshock Infinite isn't coming out this year. Instead, we're getting <laughs> Far Cry Five, another game that seems to be hedging its bets and playing both sides. We'll see. I haven't played all that game. I played three hours of it. There's there's a big preview and a big interview on the site. Go look at those. Yeah, um, worth worth checking out. Those are up today. Yeah. I think we have time for one question. I know you have a heart out. I have in a like heart. Five I have minutes. a heart out in like three minutes. Let's say. All right, three minutes. All right, I'll just read this question. It's adjacent. Adjacent. I've said that like ten times. I apologize. oh, that's the hot new uh, SJW word. By the oh, way, have God. you heard that adjacent? SJW. SJWs. Y'all should take a look at how many SJWs are saying adjacent these days. It's a nice word. Have you Have you heard how Daniel Klepek has been saying adjacent lately? Oh my All god. Right, sorry, let's keep Cuck. Oh, We are All right, in this, a world. This comes from Cassie. This is a nice question. I like this is a good question uh-huh. and I think it is related to the things we're talking about today. Hi, White Point. I was reminded of this strange phenomenon while watching your Bloodborne streams. There are a lot of games out there that I really love and admire, but will never really play. The Last of Us and Bloodborne topped that list for me. For whatever reason, despite many attempts, I just really bounced off these games. I still recommend them to other friends and have a fondness for them, as if I had experienced the games firsthand. To be more specific, I never made it out of Boston with Ellie during any of the three or four attempts I made to uh, to play The Last of Us, because I... I hated, thoroughly despised the combat controls, and dying made me genuinely angry. So one weekend, my roommate and I locked ourselves in a room, and I watched her play through the entire game in almost one sitting. I came out loving the game, and now it's definitely one of my favorites, even though I've never really played it. Do you have any games that were a chore or were actively unpleasant to play yourself, but you ended up loving them for some reason? Thanks, Cassie. I love this question. Yeah. I, um, what, what are your What are your answers here? I have this relationship with some of the Dark Souls games that mm. I haven't played yet. It's 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 not that I haven't that I'll never play them. I never played one or two, but I really enjoy watching like uh, speed runs for them. I just really enjoy oh, watching fair. that kind of fair. thing. I, there's a lot of speed runs I enjoy watching, even though I've never played the game. That a lot of older games, like um, what is it, Jedi. The 1996-ish LucasArts game that's like Jedi Battles, Jedi How, Assault. Wait, what is it? What's it do? It's a game. You're, you're, it's a third-person game. Wars it's games. a third-person Star Wars game. Very uh-huh. well-beloved. Jedi Academy. Jedi Academy. Jedi Knight 2. There's Jedi a Knight lo- 2. Or, sorry, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight. Jedi Academy. There's a lot of, one of those. Star Wars games that have Jedi I really in the like We really got to know which one you watching mean. Watching it. I think it's Jedi Academy. Okay. I think it's you, Jedi who Academy. Who do you play as? You're not Dash Rendar. Are you Kyle Katarn? Yes, right, Kyle so That's Katarn. probably Jedi. That's either okay. Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight or it's Jedi Outcast. Dark okay. Forces 3. But oh it's probably boy. not. It's probably. It could be <laughs> Jedi Academy, but you make your own character in Jedi yeah. Academy. So you're not Kyle I have Kyle a better Katarn. one. I have a much better one. Are you ready? Yeah. Half-Life 2. 
I cannot play that game. Oh, yeah, that's I have a good tried that's playing a that one. game like 75 times. I always die. I suck at it so much. But I sure love watching Robert Yang play through the sure. whole thing. And I love watching thing. Robert Yang play through anything, though. I mean, that's so pretty much that's, true. That's just it. But that game in particular, I've never been able to really play sure. it. But I, I sure enjoy watching that game. So. My most recent example is Horizon, which is a game okay. that I have a lot of... I, I, you know, a barista will say, oh, hey, I just got a PS4. What should I play? I'm like, oh, Horizon's pretty good. Even it's though good it's not... Yeah. It's great for baristas. you? What are you, your barista? You should play Horizon, Horizon. Zero Dawn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, have the, you, you have Aloy's haircut already, so... There you go. Uh, <laughs> the, um, that's a situation where it's like, I know I didn't like that game for a lot of reasons that I stand by, yeah. but also think that it has a sort of broad appeal for people who like are coming from the Assassin's Creed games the last last generation or like who like open world action games in general um and so that's one of those things it's like oh yeah that's a game you could play like but it's really hard when someone's like what should i play like i don't i don't know my taste like? i'm not gonna say dragon's dogma because you're gonna hate it and then be <laughs> mad at me i'm trying not to get people mad at me right now i'm already getting them mad get i'm just trying to get my coffee yeah. jessica Je- jessica sorry not your jessica patrick not your your so i have a it turns out your daughter is a barista in Brooklyn now, yep. and uh, I know she sounded like she was sick earlier. I hope she's doing okay uh, because I'm really going to need she's my grande soy latte later. Yeah, that's what it is. I hope she's on shift because she <laughs> makes it extra hot. I need it extra hot. That's what I'm, you know. I don't even drink. So. Babies anyway, are good at that. I have to go. Y'all can <laughs> finish this off. All right. I'm curious what your answers are, so I'm going to listen later. Patrick, but. do you have one of these where you've really enjoyed sort of watching it or reading about it, and it's not? Necessarily something you your, play. Your your video is skipping all over the place. I'm going to punt on this question. I can't. I, I cannot answer it because of the tech problems. Oh no! All right, Patrick will answer that question in another form because we're going to close things out. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll save uh, we'll save this one. Uh, we'll table this one. We'll do it at another time. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to us. As as always, if you have questions, you can send it to gaming at vice.com with the subject question. Shout out to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. You can find Patrick at Patrick Kleppick because he probably still can't hear me and that's okay. I'm at Daniel R.I. and Austin is at Austin underscore Walker. Thank you, everyone. You've been wonderful. I want you to be good and be good at it. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.